with key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials. The exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other products, the Bella Grace Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 6,000 times more potent than vitamin C, Astereal Astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian cat's claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. You walk into this room at your own risk because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the super states that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone.
I just say right out of the gates, right out of the gates? First of all, okay, first of all, I'll say good morning. I will say good morning once I um, electronically hug my lovely bride. Uh, but can I say it? I went back through and I listened to Vladimir Putin. Yeah, and last night there was commentary as it was starting to unravel. We had a viewing party on LFA TV. It was awesome. Uh, and then there were people in the chat. Oh, this is boring, this is boring, boring, boring. And then when I went back and I listened, I, I remembered right about the time when everybody was saying, oh, this is kind of boring. Uh, so, yeah. Of course, not our viewers. I'm referring to like the internet sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally look upon my fellow human beings, we'll say. Not even pick on Americans. What a bunch of freaking bird brains. Seriously, just bird brains. I mean, if I were, you know, a politician, a global elite or whatever, I mean, we say that they have such disdain for us. And there's good reason for it because literally I, I'm looking at them uh, and I'm not an oligarch or anything like that. I'm uh, I, I'm affectionately and with a God-centered approach trying to educate everybody. So our listening audience is not a bunch of bird brains. Today, we're going to cover... The words of Vladimir Putin, which are so impactful, okay, uh, he was, Putin was 100% correct about the current state of affairs as to the war and the, the coup in the Ukraine and identifying who initiated that coup. And that was the Central Intelligence Agency. So we'll dig into that pretty extensively. Then got a couple of interviews we're going to share with you. So welcome to the Pete Santilli Show and top O the morning to you, my lovely bride. I just want to, I want to quit my day job and just conjugate full time right now. (laughs) What do you think? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is my lovely bride. Now I say conjugate. Um, No, don't. Let's just turn it off and just go, go like stare at the birds. Yeah. And enjoy. You know, when we say our prayers, we thank the Lord for his many blessings, the sunlight and the air and the, right? Yeah. The beautiful, wafty thing that I, the aura that you have around you. You're my lovely bride. Oh, you. are. You. I love you and I welcome you to the Pete Santilli Show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good morning, everybody. But, but this isn't newlywed crap either, by the way. We've been <laughs> together for 13 years, so I've been yeah. kicking her tires for a long time. Yeah. Now it's like... It's kind of like a silverback with a banana. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's excited. He's excited. Yes. Yeah. Blue uh, banana. All right. So did you dig into the part? Did you hear the words that Vladimir Putin spoke about? Hey, you're the bomb, dude. Bomb diggity. Did you see that? That's awesome. Thank you, Sean. Sean Great just walked in the morning. background with his PJs on. Have a nice break. That's okay. <laughs> he just walked across the screen. That's great. No, I've that's good. Living, it's fine. I've been living with him his whole life. And, yeah. you know, I've seen him in every, mm-hmm. in, not and with not even any clothes on. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Running around. <laughs> oh, man. We bought him his clothes too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Done a lot of that. A couple of times, yeah. Yeah. School clothing kid. and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I enjoy having him around. And he's very handsome. He is. Super yep. handsome young man. 
Vladimir, so, Vladimir Putin. So did you dig in? What, actually, what was the most impactful thing? Let's, let, let, me, let me just do a, a, a download with you. I had uh -huh. a busy night last night. We do. Uh, the night before, you know, until yeah, we 11. Consuming, 11.40, uh, we're doing pre-show prep for this morning's show. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we just got that off, and I thought it was a great show. Yeah. Make sure you go to LFA TV. You have to catch, if you didn't already, you have to catch that two-hour show, Morning uh, morning Market Ultra, all right, on yeah. LFA TV. Yeah, got to okay. catch it over um, on LFA. Okay. We're going to so, say hello, uh, Patriot Jacks, oh. right? I thought I did say hello. Oh, okay, good. There's Ankh and Bulldog and Cole 30 mm -mm. and FAA Mechanic. Yes. Robert Hafey. Yes. Yes. He says, good morning, good morning, good morning, Mrs. Depp Santilli. Mm -mm. Thank you so much. Good morning. Okay, so and what? Thank what you, it, Bill Tennant, starting us out with twenty bucks. Oh, thank you so red. much. So pretty, Deb. Thank you yeah. so much. Mm -hmm. My little cheap, uh, mm -hmm. my little cheap Walmart shirts. I love them. Walmart? Have, no, don't go. We don't go to Walmart anymore. Guess where we go? I'm a big shop. All right, I've already kicked <laughs> your tires. You ready? Yeah. Uh, uh, Karen, can you drop our Timu link? Timu link. That is so. Timu. Why? Why is that funny? That's well, where we because, go. Because I mean, our you know. viewing audience has us on poverty wages. <laughs> no, right? No, I love these little shirts. I wear them all year round. I, I really. I know, do. but can but we promote our Timo link? You pick out. You got to be careful what you pick out at Walmart. But they have these little Get. shirts. They're like seven bucks a piece, and I buy them in all different colors. And if they come out with a new color, I'm mm -hmm. I'm there looking at it and. For seven bucks, I, and then when they're on clearance, you get them for five bucks as the mm. season changes. And um, it's, I like them, I like them, and they're nice, right? Okay, so our T, our Timu link, all right, it is the best place from. You know, I'm coming into the game late because I found out where the ladies were shopping. I'm like, what is that? And I clicked on it a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, and I tried a couple things, right? And I yeah. got my order in, right? Yeah, you got to be careful what you buy. You got, you do why? Well, just because some of it's really, really not what they represent. Oh, really? It, okay. Yeah, but you live and learn. I mean, you, they have a return. But policy. it's so cheap, you can literally just throw it away and say, oh, well, <laughs> right? Yeah, most oh, of the Oh, I time, spent $3 yeah. accidentally, right? Yeah, so... I mean, really ch cheap. Shop like a billionaire. Metazine. Go to our Timo link. All Walmart clothes are from China. True story. Well, everything, everything is. You, everything China, is from China. China. Everything is from China. Yeah. Right. It's hard here's, to find anything from America. Here's what I love about our Timo link. Um, if you shop on Timo and you set up an account, you get the app. Okay, we get like a spiff. Right. Yeah. They offer that to us. Mm -hmm. uh, for signing up for the app. Thank you, Melissa. If you shop, we get pennies, you know, a little bit, and it adds up, trust me. Mm -hmm. So if you shop at Timo, we have an affiliate link. We get a commission on it. Uh, <laughs> and guess what else? Way. Here's the bottom line. <laughs> Instead funny. of running down to the retail store and paying, you know, 400 times as much, right, because they're buying cheap Chinese crap, mm -hmm. we're cutting big box retail out completely. That's what we're doing. And you can shop online, go to the Timu uh, store, mm -hmm. click that link, and don't complain because it's cheap Chinese crap. Because guess what? Everything you go buy is cheap Chinese crap. And if you say everywhere, if you say that you don't buy stuff from China, you're not telling the truth. That's yeah. All I got to uh, say. What I'm going to say is temporarily, 
let's cut out retail altogether by direct. I hope that Trump gets back in office and he gives incentives Mm -hmm. for businesses here in the United States of America, closed manufacturers, which are very, very few and in between. Mm -hmm. I hope he gives them incentives to do this. Yeah. Do the same thing. Right. And listen to me. Don't anybody say because I've already made this determination. Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. I want you to avoid going to any corporation, okay, that is getting that stuff at those prices on Timo. If you go see that, they're paying $3, $10 for an item, and then you go down to the retail store, and you're paying 50 mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. I'm eliminating big box retail. You can shop direct, go on that website. I've already tested a couple of items. Yeah. I bought a, uh, I bought a watch. Okay. You did. And it was like a hundred and something bucks. And I said, all right, let me see what a hundred and something dollar watch is. Right. From Timu, right? From Timu. Oh yeah. yeah. Now I know my watches. That's one thing that I do know. And I said, the weight of that watch will be an indication. Oh, do you this hear is that? a self winder. Somebody's at- watching me says I got a folding stock adapter for one of my ARs on Timu. On Timu. Did you buy it through us? Probably if you not. didn't we buy through started. us, okay, because we get a small spin. You see that watch right there? <laughs> is the, am he, I, loves that, he loves that watch. Oh, this is a self-winder, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm a big watch guy. And I said, if I receive it, and the weight of the watch is everything, okay? The weight of the watch is everything. Mm-hmm. So I got this watch. This is probably one of the best watches I've ever bought. Now, I'm a big guy. I mean, I, I say a big guy. I'm a big watch guy. Uh, I have a tag, right? Mm-hmm. A Rolex that freaking thieves uh, hawked when I was in jail. Yeah. $5,000 Rolex. Can you imagine that? That was given to me as a gift. Yeah. Um, but I've always bought Swiss watches called Invicta, okay? This watch right here that I bought on Timu is better than any Invicta watch that I bought. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. It's better than any Invicta watch that I bought. Um, so go click our link. You'll always see it down below. Uh, and don't complain because it's, uh, you know, Chinese stuff. Because guess what? Chinese stuff is everywhere. It's, you can't, I mean, you can't go anywhere and buy anything but Chinese and mm-hmm. India and every other foreign country. I love for President Trump to come in and say, all right, stop that. <laughs> I'd love that. But I, between well, now and then, skip the retailers. Uh, well, this is one of the things that's wrong with the United States, right? We don't have we don't have incentive to do these kinds of things. When you buy American, it's uh, it's so outrageously priced, so right? And the quality. Priced. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. The quality in American made stuff just isn't that great anymore. Yeah, yeah. Right? And right now, guess what? Uh, individual shipments because you're going to buy direct when you uh, shop on Timu. Mm-hmm. Uh, they avoid all the massive tariffs. That the big yeah. box stores have to pay. So skip all their tariffs, skip their big box stuff, skip their uh, exorbitant uh, 400% markups. Skip it all together. Bring right. those disgusting people down. Why? Because a portion of the money that goes when you go to a retail shop goes towards Planned Parenthood and woke tardedness. Yeah, it really does. Okay. It there does. There you go. So, you know, what's your choice? That's here? my activism. So um, while you're at it, please... Speaking of uh, American companies, uh, please go to MyPillow.com forward slash Pete. Use promo code Pete. Support Mike Lindell. 
Um, they've got a fantastic clearance going on over there. Uh, as usually happens in February, as you know, Pete, all the big box stores do their linens and all of that stuff. And, and uh, so make sure that you guys do it. It's a good time to get new sheets, good time to get new towels and slippers and all of those things, the pillows that you need. And Elon Musk gave Mike Lindell a big shout out the other day, a big boost. And it was fantastic. And Mike Lindell had up um, a post and Elon Musk came in and said, hey, these pillows are pretty good. So it gave Mike Lindell a great boost. <laughs> and we appreciate that. So make sure you use promo code Pete or promo code Deb and support Mike Lindell and his efforts over there. Please. Please do that. MyPillow.com forward slash Pete. Make sure that you guys do that and support Mike Lindell. So, Pete, mm. we're watching. We're, uh, you know, it was hard for me because you were doing an interview, right? And uh, mm. and I was, I saw that it had come up on TuckerCarlson.com, right? And, and I was trying to watch it, but I was interested in what you were doing, too. Um, and then when you came up, we rewatched again. It's two hours long. But you asked me to talk about Please. You know, one of the biggest things that I took away from it. And that is that, you know, a lot of people go around talking about Putin being, you know, anti-globalist. Uh, and, and that is not what I got from his interview. Right. Um, that he is that he is very much into this one world government idea and you and I have talked about this on the show many, many times. And, you know, we are going to have, they are pushing for a one world government. There is no such thing as a good guy when it comes to that. They all want it. Um, what they're fighting over is who's going to lead it. What is going to lead it? Is it going to be, you know, somebody like Donald J. Trump? Uh, and is it going to be based on capitalism or is it going to be based on uh, communism. That is the thing. And so they've been fighting over this for a very long time. And that right now, the leaders of all these countries are jockeying for their position in this global reset. And Putin is not exempt from that. And we should understand that as we move forward, right? Um, that, I think a lot of people were shocked that Putin had gone to Bill Clinton and ask Bill Clinton about joining NATO, uh, Russia being part of NATO, and, and Bill Clinton has said yes at first. Bill Clinton said, I don't see a problem with that. Bill Clinton was all about it. Then he came back to Putin and said, I'm sorry, it's not possible. It's just not going to happen, right? So that's when Putin started talking about how the president of the United States really isn't running anything. Right. It's it's not him that makes all of these major decisions had a lot of people were speculating. And I'd like to hear your take on this, Pete. Had NATO uh, accepted Russia in the 90s, what would the world be like today? If uh, if uh, it'd be um, a, a lot less destructive and, you know, you're going to hear him. As a matter of fact, if you could. Uh, I want your commentary. I'm so anxious to start playing this. We're not going to be able to get through it without stopping it and commenting. What okay. is this? 
Are we going that, straight into the interview? Or? That segment oh, that is segment. so powerful with mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin. Yeah. That I'm about yeah. to play, right? Yeah. Uh, one of them, he, he says, uh, and he, he doesn't joke, but he talks about the CIA. And the way he speaks of the CIA. He made a joke with, with I think it was a light moment because Putin knew that he was going to go into something very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, Tucker Carlson, out of nowhere, you know, asked him the question. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? That was it, interesting. It, yep. You know, and he they... He kind of he points at Tucker. He said, you, said, you, you did. did. <laughs> Tucker goes, it wasn't me. I was busy yeah. that day. Listen to this one short clip, though. He yeah. talks about the CIA. Yep. Right? Listen to this. Silver and gold. Call what? Kirk Elliott, really? PhD at 720. Really? Is that, tr- is that correct? Is that what I just did? Uh, oh, yeah. Sean's gone, so everything is less than perfect. <laughs> huh? That's right? okay. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Really? Is that true? Is that what's going on? Huh? Really? Come on, seriously? Do you have to train wreck this thing for me? Hmm? <laughs> oh, really? Man. Huh? I will uh I will fix that. Sean's gone. That's right. He's mm-hmm. off. Uh he did our morning ultra. He did great. Show. He did absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, there we go. You know what? I don't, I don't get what happens here with, uh, with the downloads. Um, I don't get it from, from Twitter. Uh, we get files downloaded. Mm-hmm. I did this download myself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any audio on it. Oh, I think yeah, yeah. Elon Musk is missing a few nuts and bolts. <laughs> it's a you huge know, problem. Can I, can I please, uh, well, whenever Can I go with this right now? Yeah, whenever you're ready to go. With I it. am ready to go. I want to start playing this right and, now. And we we are going to talk mm. about Biden and and what they what, did. Is the, is the chat room telling us to t- no, talk no, no, about no, Biden? No. We are going to talk about Biden, no, but the chat room is not there. Okay. They're talking about this. Um, yeah, but we are going to go, don't go by the mob. <laughs> we are going to go into mm. that uh, because it, there are so many implications with that. It's too, huge, and I think it's mm-hmm. important. So we'll, yeah. we'll be going. They're not going to prosecute him because his brain is blown. And then mm-hmm. he, and then he says, oh, no, you can prosecute me. My brain's not blown. I yeah. mean, he literally comes out and says, oh, no, I'm fine. OK, then prosecute him. Well, they they, right? they literally put him on Idiot. at 745 last night uh, to to tell the world that he was competent and his memory is great. Well, then prosecute him. Exactly. I'm like, OK. Yeah. You know, file yep. file the papers. By the way, here, look, see, see my Timo watch. Look at that. Yeah, huh? <laughs> the best watch you. ever. I just put it on. I freaking love this beefer. I know you like huh? it. I do. You All do. right. Without further ado, here it is. This is the most bombshell, and I'm going to say this. Cert. I will hereby certify everything that he says here is one. Hundred percent accurate. One hundred percent. Yeah. You had to do this. Initially, it was the coup in Ukraine that provoked the conflict. 
I said, I'm going to stop it. Okay. <laughs> so soon. The coup, uh, right? The coup. Funny. Now, everyone's like, oh, coup, what is that? Let's talk about Biden. What are you going to do? How come you're not going to talk about the underground tunnels? You know, stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what he just said and what he's about to say, listen very closely. If you're uh-huh. not familiar with the circumstances leading all the way back to 2013 and 2014, you're about to have a rewind. He does a download that they never, ever. This is the segment right here that we're going to play that they did not want distributed throughout the world. Mm. They did not want that. By the way, back then the representatives of three European countries, Germany, Poland and France, arrived. They were the guarantors of the signed agreement between the government of Yanukovych and the opposition. They signed it as guarantors. Despite that, the opposition committed a coup and all these countries pretended that they didn't remember that they were guarantors of the peaceful settlement. They just threw it in the stove right away and nobody recalls that. I don't know if the U.S. know anything about the agreement between the opposition and the authorities and its three guarantors who, instead of bringing this whole situation back in the political field, supported the coup. Although it was meaningless, believe me, because President Yanukovych agreed to all conditions. He was ready to hold an early election, which he had no chance of winning, frankly speaking. Everyone knew that. Then why the coup? Why the victims? Why threatening Crimea? Why launching an operation in Donbass? This I do not understand. That is exactly what the miscalculation is. CIA did its job to complete the coup. I think one of the deputy secretaries of state said that it cost a large sum of money, almost five billion. But the political mistake was colossal. Why would they have to do that? All now, do you remember mm. in my little mini documentary while uh-huh. she, where she stands in front of that Chevron banner right. and she talks about the $5 billion? Remember yes, that? I do. Yeah. Okay. It, he just said it cost the $5 billion to set that up. Go by way of IMF or we will freaking destroy you. Right? Yeah. The coup was affected, uh, in the words of Victoria Nuland, uh, Eric Ciaramella operating behind the scenes, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton, 2013-2014, there was a CIA coup on the Maidan, period. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The Yanukovych thing and getting Cleach in and doing all that was all crafted by us. We did that. What he is saying is one Hundred percent factually correct. 2013, 2014, we set the stage. So if anybody has any problems with the war, like if they say, oh, Vladimir Putin, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. Guess what? We literally manufactured the boogeyman bad guy. Yeah. We created a scenario where he had no choice but to defend himself. Now, right. what had they done between 2013 and 14 until... The, the current war. What did, what did, did they do? They literally launched an attack. They went for Crimea, right? Mm-hmm. They attacked the eastern Ukrainian Jews, especially, who fled like crazy in the Donbass region. And there were a lot of Russians there. And he had to help. We did that. We did it. 
We installed this Svoboda and the Nazis. And he's going to talk about the denazification aspects of what this thing is all about. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you something right now. Not only is he accurate, you can go to the CIA's own website and you can go to the Nazi war crimes disclosure act documents. And everything he talks about is right out in the open per the CIA's own documents. We literally propped up the Nazi movement. Why? Why did we do that? Because, and, and, and in their own writing, they said, oh, uh, you know, we really don't want to be helping the Nazis and everything, but we have no choice because they're anti-Soviet. Mm-hmm. We fueled the Nazi movement worldwide because they go after the boogeyman. Russia, 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 Russia. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. These are facts, folks. You cannot delete these facts yeah. from history. And in particular, the uh, Russian, Russian Jews. Let's Russian see. Jews. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, they were clear. literally with Nazis, Nazis, slaughtering, slaughtering Eastern Ukrainian Jews who, Absolutely. by the way, they fled Eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it was Nazis that went in there and slaughtered the Eastern Ukrainian Jews. Nobody wants to talk about that freaking potential Holocaust. Uh, nobody except for people who like in my family, my sister married into a Jewish family. Their family was slaughtered and buried in mass graves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Grandpa is 98 now, so we don't get him excited talking about those things, but mm. it hurts him dearly. Yeah. And oh, um, yeah. and Roseanne Barr came right out and said it to Piers Morgan. She says, what are you talking about, Piers? I'm from you. My family is from Ukraine, right? My family mm. is from Ukraine, and they're buried they marched them out into the woods and buried them, shot them in the head and buried them in mass graves. And that's exactly what happened in Ukraine. Mass graves everywhere of the eastern uh, Ukraine Jews. It's fact. Mm-hmm. Yes. All this could have been done legally without victims, without military action without losing Crimea. We would have never considered to even lift a finger if it hadn't been for the bloody developments on Maidan. Because we agreed with the fact that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, our borders should be along the borders of former Union's republics. We agreed to that, but we never agreed to NATO's expansion, and moreover, we never agreed that Ukraine would be in NATO. We did not agree to NATO bases there without any discussion with us. For decades, we kept asking, don't do this, don't do that. And what triggered the latest events? Firstly, the current Ukrainian leadership declared that it would not implement the Minsk agreements, which had been signed, as you know, after the events of 2014 in Minsk, where the plan of peaceful settlement in Donbass was set forth. But no, the current Ukrainian leadership, foreign minister, all other officials, and then president himself said that they don't like anything about the Minsk agreements. In other words, they were not going to implement it. 
A year or a year and a half ago, former leaders of Germany and France said openly to the whole world that they indeed signed the Minsk agreements, but they never intended to implement them. They simply led us by the nose. Was there anyone free to talk to? Did you call a U.S. president, secretary of state and say, if you keep militarizing Ukraine with NATO forces, this is going to get, this is going to be a, we're going to act. We talked about this all the time. We addressed the United States and European countries' leadership to stop these developments immediately, to implement the Minsk agreements. Frankly speaking, I didn't know how we were going to do this, but I was ready to implement them. These agreements were complicated for Ukraine. They included lots of elements of those Donbass territories' independence. That's true. However, I was absolutely confident, and I'm saying this to you now, I honestly believe that if we managed to convince the residents of Donbass, and we had to work hard to convince them to return to the Ukrainian statehood, then gradually the wounds would start to heal. When this part of territory reintegrated itself into common social environment, when the pensions and social benefits were paid again, all the pieces would gradually fall into place. No, nobody wanted that. Everybody wanted to resolve the issue by military force only. But we could not let that happen. And the situation got to the point when the Ukrainian side announced, no, we will not do anything. They also started preparing for military action. It was they who started the war in 2014. Our goal is to stop this war, and we did not start this war in 2022. This is an attempt to stop it. Do you think you've stopped it now? I mean, have you achieved your aims? No, we haven't achieved our aims yet, because one of them is denazification. This means the prohibition of all kinds of neo-Nazi movements. This is one of the problems that we discussed during the negotiation process, which ended in Istanbul early this year. And it was not our initiative, because we were told by the Europeans, in particular that it was necessary to create conditions for the final signing of the documents. My counterparts in France and Germany said, how can you imagine them signing a treaty with a gun to their heads? The troops should be pulled back from Kiev. I said, all right, we withdrew the troops from Kiev. As soon as we pulled back our troops from Kiev, our Ukrainian negotiators immediately threw all our agreements reached in Istanbul into the bin and got prepared for a long-standing armed confrontation with the help of the United States and its satellites in Europe. That is how the situation has developed. And that is how it looks now. But, but what is, pardon my ignorance, what is denazification? What would that mean? That is what I want to talk about right now. It is a very important issue. 
denazification. After gaining independence, Ukraine began to search, as some Western analysts say, its identity. And it came up with nothing better than to build this identity upon some false heroes who collaborated with Hitler. I have already said that in the early 19th century, when the theorists of independence and sovereignty of Ukraine appeared, they assumed that an independent Ukraine should have very good relations with Russia. But due to the historical development, those territories were part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Poland, where Ukrainians were persecuted and treated quite brutally as well as were subject to cruel behavior. There were also attempts to destroy their identity. All this remained in the memory of the people. When World War II broke out, part of this extremely nationalist elite collaborated with Hitler, believing that he would bring them freedom. The German troops, even the SS troops, made Hitler's collaborators do the dirtiest work of exterminating the Polish and Jewish population. Hence this brutal massacre of the Polish and Jewish population, as well as the Russian population too. This was led by the persons who are well known, Bandera, Shukevich, it was those people who were made national heroes, that is the problem. And we are constantly told that nationalism and neo-Nazism exist in other countries as well. Yes, they are seedlings, but we approve them, and other countries fight against them. But Ukraine is not the case. These people have been made into national heroes in Ukraine. Monuments to those people have been erected. They are displayed on flags. Their names are shouted by crowds that walk with torches, as it was in Nazi Germany. These were people who exterminated Poles, Jews and Russians. It is necessary to stop this practice and prevent the dissemination of this concept. I say that Ukrainians are part of the one Russian people. They say, no, we are a separate people. Okay, fine. If they consider themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so, but not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Would you be satisfied with the territory that you have now? I will finish answering the question. You just asked a question about neo-Nazism and denazification. Look, the president of Ukraine visited Canada. This story is well known, but being silenced in the Western countries. The Canadian parliament introduced a man who, as the speaker of the parliament said, fought against the Russians during the World War II. Well, who fought against the Russians during the World War II? Hitler and his accomplices. It turned out that this man served in the SS troops. He personally killed Russians, Poles and Jews.
The SS troops consisted of Ukrainian nationalists who did this dirty work. The president of Ukraine... What he's saying here Mm -hmm. is 100% factually correct. It is. Yes. And and I love what he said. Mm. He said, you know, all these other countries basically are talking about... Nazis in their country, right? And mm-hmm. and nothing, nothing has been more prevalent than the discussion of Nazis in the United States of America for seven years now. Yeah. Okay. And, and who's who's and fueled beyond, it? Who's fueled it worldwide? The leftist have have the, fueled that. The United point. States CIA leftists, yeah, have and, literally propped up the Nazi movement worldwide Mm -hmm. Uh, now in europe operation gladio okay in the united states it was initiated after world war ii with Mm -hmm. operation paperclip and you can go to the cia's own nazi war crimes disclosure act Mm -hmm. and all the documents are published as well written but we have a bunch of bird brands in the united states of america that have no idea what he's talking about well, but, here's here's and he's here's, speaking of facts. Uh, here's what he's saying, though. Mm. He's saying, OK, so, you know, and he's basically speaking to American people and mm-hmm. saying, you know, they're talking about Nazis in your anybody who is a Trump supporter is a Nazi. It's become such a blanket uh, slur. Mm-hmm. Right. That they're calling people Nazis who aren't even Nazis. They're calling Jewish people Nazis, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Here in the United States. Black people. If if black people in your. If you uh, support Trump, you're a Nazi. Yeah, you're a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the the first time I heard somebody call Will Johnson a white supremacist, I almost fell out of my chair. Yeah, it's hilarious. I couldn't believe it, but that's where we've gone with it. And what Mm -hmm. he's saying is, is that these are just little seedlings of, and Mm -hmm. and they mean Mm -hmm. nothing. In Mm -hmm. Ukraine, however, the country that we back and the party that we back are truly Nazis. Mm-hmm. They're truly Nazis. It's a fact. It is a fact. And Putin is saying, you know, he's basically uh, he's basically looking at that going, how can this be? How can everybody talk about Nazis in their countries and anti and declare a war here on white people based on their idea of what a new Nazi is in America and then let them get by with that in Ukraine, right? And and I think that's what he's saying. I think it was a very valid point. And, you know, when, I, it, like I said, he handled this whole thing and he handled, somebody said that he played, uh, that he played Tucker Carlson like a violin. I, I think that it was mutual playing of an instrument. They created a duet it's chamber music, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they both played on each other. Uh, Tucker Carlson had to be very careful about the questions that he asked. Here's the thing is I believe now that Putin trusts him and there is a line of communication open. Another thing along that line, Pete, is that Putin said he has not talked to Joe Biden since uh 2022 hasn't spoke to him he said what's the point he knows what i want he's gonna get to it let's play it wait a minute Mm -hmm. yeah but then he says uh 
Oh, my goodness. No, I lost my train of thought. I know. And people are going to send me hate mail because of what I just did. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's okay because, mm. because uh, you know. It, Let her speak. <laughs> Putin is very, I mean, he's very calculated. Uh, Tucker Carlson is seasoned enough to know that. Uh, he's very manipulative, very calculated in what he says. But but Tucker's only allowed to ask him so much. But, oh, now I remember um, he said that he hasn't talked to Biden in, since 2022, but he said that there were several lines of communication to Washington, D.C. that he does speak to. Um, and, and I think that was a great revelation for people to know that there is we aren't completely cut off from lines of communication to Putin. And anybody out there saying that Tucker Carlson doesn't have a right to interview of Vladimir Putin when there are still lines of communication, several, he said, to the United States that he that he speaks to on on a pretty consistent basis. Anybody who says that Tucker Carlson doesn't have a right to interview Putin and at least get that information out to the American people and give us some kind of hope that there is an end to this, then, uh, you know, they're just full of crap. Don't even pay any attention. He he really did expose the United States mm. government in this uh, interview. Yes. Yep. Yep. With the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stood up with the entire Parliament of Canada and applauded this man. How can this be imagined? The president of Ukraine himself, by the way, is a Jew by nationality. Really, my question is, what do you do about it? I mean, Hitler's been dead for 80 years. Nazi Germany no longer exists. And so, true. And so, I think what you're saying is you want to extinguish or at least control Ukrainian nationalism. But how? How do you do that? Вот послушайте меня. Ваш вопрос очень тонкий. Listen to me. Your question is very subtle. And I can tell you what I think. Do not take offense. Of course. This question appears to be subtle. It is quite pesky. You say Hitler has been dead for so many years, 80 years, but his example lives on. People who exterminated Jews, Russians and Poles are alive. And the president, the current president of today's Ukraine applauds him in the Canadian parliament, gives a standing ovation. Can we say that we have completely uprooted this ideology if what we see is happening today? That is what the Nazification is in our understanding. We have to get rid of those people who maintain this concept and support this practice and try to preserve it. That is what the Nazification is. That is what we mean. Right. My question was a little more specific. It was, of course, not a defense of Nazis, neo or otherwise, it was a practical question. You don't control the entire country. You don't control Kiev. You don't seem like you want to. So how, how do you eliminate a culture or an ideology or feelings or a view of history in a country that you don't control? What do you do about that? You know, as strange as it may seem to you, during the negotiations in Istanbul, we did agree that 
We have it all in writing. Neo-Nazism would not be cultivated in Ukraine, including that it would be prohibited at the legislative level. Mr. Carson, we agreed on that. This, it turns out, can be done during the negotiation process. And there's nothing humiliating for Ukraine as a modern civilized state. Is any state allowed to promote Nazism? It is not, is it? That is it. Um, will there be talks, and why haven't there been talks, about resolving the conflict in Ukraine, peace talks? They have been. They reached a very high stage of coordination of positions in a complex process, but still they were almost finalized. But after we withdrew our troops from Kiev, as I have already said, the other side threw away all these agreements and obeyed the instructions of Western countries, European countries and the United States to fight Russia to the bitter end. Moreover, the president of Ukraine has legislated a ban on negotiating with Russia. He signed a decree forbidding everyone to negotiate with Russia. But how are we going to negotiate if he forbade himself and everyone to do this? We know that he is putting forward some ideas about this settlement. But in order to agree on something, we need to have a dialogue. Is that not right? Well, but you wouldn't be speaking to the Ukrainian president, you'd be speaking to the American president. When was the last time you spoke to Joe Biden? I cannot remember when I talked to him. I do not remember. We can look it up. You don't remember? <laughs> no. Why? Do I have to remember everything? I have my own things to do. We have domestic political affairs. Well, he's funding the war that you're fighting, so I would think that would be memorable. Well, yes, he funds, but I talked to him before the special military operation, of course. And I said to him then, by the way, I will not go into details, I never do, but I said to him then, I believe that you are making a huge mistake of historic proportions by supporting everything that is happening there in Ukraine by pushing Russia away. I told him, told him repeatedly, by the way. I think that would be correct if I stop here. What did he say? Ask him, please. It is easier for you. You are a citizen of the United States. Go and ask him. It is not appropriate for me to comment on our conversation. But, but, but you haven't spoken to him since before February of 2022. No, we haven't spoken. Certain contacts are being maintained, though. Speaking of which, do you remember what I told you about my proposal to work together on a missile defense system? Yes. You can ask all of them. All of them are safe and sound, thank God. The former president, Condoleezza, is safe and sound. And I think Mr. Gates and the current director of the intelligence agency, Mr. Burns, the then ambassador to Russia, in my opinion, are very yes. successful ambassador. They were all witnesses to these conversations. Ask them. Same here, if you are interested in what Mr. President Biden responded to me, ask him. 
At any rate, I talked to him about it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested, but from the outside, it seems like this could devolve or evolve into something that brings the entire world into conflict and could um, initiate some, a nuclear launch. And so why don't you just call Biden and say, let's work this out? What's there to work out? It's very simple, I repeat. We have contacts through various agencies. I will tell you what we are saying on this matter and what we are conveying to the US leadership. If you really want to stop fighting, you need to stop supplying weapons. It will be over within a few weeks. That's it. And then we can agree on some terms. Before you do that, stop. What's easier? Why would I call him? What should I talk to him about? Or beg him for what? And, and what messages do you get back? You're going to deliver such and such weapons to Ukraine? Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Please don't. What is there to talk about? Do you think NATO is worried about this becoming a global war or a nuclear conflict? At least that's what they're talking about. And they're trying to intimidate their own population with an imaginary Russian threat. This is an obvious fact. And thinking people, not Philistines, but thinking people, Analysts, those who are engaged in real politics, just smart people, understand perfectly well that this is a fake. They're trying to fuel the Russian threat. The threat I think you're referring to is a Russian invasion of Poland, Latvia, expansionist behavior. Is, can you imagine a scenario where you sent Russian troops to Poland? Only in one case, if Poland attacks Russia. Why? Because we have no interest in Poland, Latvia or anywhere else. Why would we do that? We simply don't have any interest. It's just threat monger. It's remarkable. Uh, and the background of this conversation right now, I can actually hear the translator for uh, Vladimir Putin. And uh, that's a good thing. And I, and I want that to take place during our conversation because my, uh, my guest, Charles Cole, he's a retired Russian language uh, educator who has per personally witnessed the type of collectivist life the Democrats are foisting upon the American people right now. Uh, his observations are a warning as to what they're trying to create with their fundamental transformation of our economy. Um, he's, uh, let's, let's, uh, say, you know, the canaries in the coal mine that know exactly what's upon us, especially in particular, you know, um, uh, Americans, uh, they, they come from foreign countries. They, they knew what they left, what they emigrated from. And, uh, Mr. Cole joins me, uh, for this important conversation at, I believe a very important, uh, time in our nation's history. Mr. Cole, welcome to the Pete Santilli show. Hi, Gabby. Nice to be with you again. Oh, it is. And, you know, as a uh, now, of course, uh, you know, I, I want you to tell everybody uh, what your experience, your background is. Uh, but uh, at this time in our nation's history, uh, did you ever think that our nation would become what it is right now? And you've traveled the world. I mean, you, you know uh, what communism is, because those of us that were in the military, 
they travel, we understand uh, what is in other countries, and we've appreciated what our country's all about. But did you ever think during your lifetime you'd see our nation become what it is today? No, absolutely not. Matter of fact, uh, I was thinking about that the other day when uh, <clears throat> I remember a lot of the, the things that we went through in the Soviet Union in the six months that I was there. I apologize, I'm getting a little coming down something. Anyway, <clears throat> no, I, uh, I I never dreamed in my wildest nightmares we would see uh, a place uh, such as America doing so many Soviet things, and it's it really it, it frightened me into finally updating my former book. Uh, to include some of those escapades that I had there, mainly with the intent of showing people, look, that's this is what this 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 stuff is. It goes way back, and I um, in this book I, I trace it all the way back. I, I like to stick with fairly modern stuff, but I did go back to the end of the 18th century because that happened at that time. And there were two really significant societal upheavals. One of them in the British colonies in America. That's us. And the other one in France, mainly in Paris. And since that time, societies have tended to follow one of those two paths. So I took the idea that, okay, let's take a look at all these regimes uh, that have gone after France, from the period in France to socialism, even here in the country, in New Harmony, Indiana, in the 19th century. Um, the... Uh, of course, the Russian example, Italy in the 1920s, Germany in the 1930s. After World War II, communism spread throughout Eastern Europe, directed out of out of Moscow. And then uh, North Korea, China, Cuba, all of it. And when you, <clears throat> I've adopted a little term that I use in this book, and I, I kind of invented the term societal fingerprint. Mm. My theory is that, well, as any criminologist will tell you, every human being has fingerprints. We leave them wherever we go. Well, my theory is that societies leave their, their societal fingerprints, too. And if we trace them and then document them and then start comparing them with things we see here today, hmm. uh, we're looking for a match. And uh, I, I jotted down a few of them just in, in preparation for the interview today. Uh, by the way, I call these regimes uh, utopian collectivists. That's what they really are. Uh, not every collectivist is a communist, but every communist is a collectivist. Not every, uh, not every uh, collectivist is a socialist, but every socialist collectivist. So they have these these things in common, and that's one of collective aspect. Um, they, they deliver these societies deliver a whole. They start with a whole bunch of of promises you know, that are made. Like Lenin, his big promise in 1917 was bread, peace, land. Okay. So then we look at today, and well, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Oops. Um, the collective is always superior to the individuals. You know, like Hillary wrote, it takes a village, or <laughs> John Dewey, father of American education, saying that, well, we can't have individualists, you know, they would think else because they spoil the collective society. God forbid. Uh, and one of the features, of course, is that people in those regimes are always compelled to support the regime. Never, never nobody's ever convinced to do uh, six feet distancing apart, uh, skimpy little masks are going to protect you, uh, quarantining healthy people. The more you look through a lot of these, things, the more you realize that we are about three quarters of the way to full blown collectivism and. 
the chapters in my book go through the steps that uh, these regimes have followed uh, decade in and decade out. And then it kind of traces where we've been and where we are. And of course, where we're going unless this has a radical uh, chain. I mean, uh, every one of those regimes had a huge bureaucracy and that bureaucracy uh, was accountable to nobody except the little leadership at the top of the pyramid and enforced the new re the regime's programs. But I've got a chapter that's called the fourth branch of government. We have that here now. Three letter guys, you know, DIA, CIA, uh, NSA, uh, FBI, DOJ. Oh my. And notice DHS and they're not accountable to anyone they will go to congress raise their right hand swear under oath yes the border is secure oh, okay and then you show them on the wall videos of thousands and thousands of people just walking into the country and they say basically so what hmm. that's what we're facing today yes absolutely now now you um are a specialist you're uh, a lifelong student of uh, uh the russian language culture history all those things uh, but I want to I want to speak to one other thing. Uh, you know this ideological subversion. You know who Yuri Bezmenov is, don't you? Sure. Yeah, and he was spot on, wasn't he, as to what 40, 40 years was ago. going 40 years to be ago. done? That's right. Uh, as to what was going to happen to us and what mm -hmm. has happened to us. But uh, you know, some of your expertise is in uh, military style. There, you know, our army psychological operations. Are you noticing that there is a military-styled psychological operation being perpetrated upon the American people? Psychological warfare being perpetrated upon us. Do you, do you detect that? Yeah, and the more you see, by the way, this AI coming on board, the more, the more you're going to, well, perhaps see it, and a lot of it you're not going to see. Because, for example, uh, another th feature of all these regimes is total censorship of information they can't have too much information in the hands of the people because they may stumble onto the truth rather than the bs that can come out of the regime so the censorship aspect that's where it really gets interesting because if you look at social media today look at how they have uh set up the logarithms to where uh, if you ask a question you want a google search uh of, of any question you may have to go through eight screens to get the real answer you're looking for uh and somebody is tracking your searches uh that's that's a little scary i think um tucker carlson mentioned himself and not long ago that uh about a year and a half ago i guess uh nsa was caught uh, uh monitoring his emails yeah and, and, and his on this and his encrypted his encrypted communications on signal yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, it's no big deal for NSA to decrypt it. I mean, they've been doing that since World War II. But notice that uh, the the goal, obviously, is total control of society. Oh. And they look at this, all these regimes look at it in terms of means and ends. Now, uh, any means necessary to achieve the ends or ends, uh, no problem. It's, it's why I, I've, I don't even call them the Democrat Party. You know, I renamed them. You can call them Democrat Bolsheviks. You can call them, I call them, my wife calls them the So What Party. Yeah, we did the So What. Hmm. They'll respond so to what? their emails. So what? 
the so what party. It's almost anarchy on the other side of the political spectrum, isn't it? They're yeah, never. And that's where that's where your psyop comes in because people become conditioned over time. If 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 lies stand unchallenged uh, and and unaddressed long enough, they become myths. And as soon as they become part of mythology, you play hell trying to get loose. I'll give you one example that really irritates me to this day. Um, <clears throat> every time the left starts to attack uh, our side of the political divide, we get called names like MAGA extremists, uh, far-right-wing extremists, etc. Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, that is a total distortion of the historical reality of what left and white and right was. It started in 1789, 1790 in France, and it came from a term used in France from the, came out of the National Assembly, from the viewpoint of the speaker who was in front of the, the assembly. He looked to his far left, he saw the Jacobins, the radicals, the cutthroaters, the throat cutters, and all of it. If you look far to his right, he saw the monarchists, the sane, rational people who, well, they might have seen need for reform, but they wanted to do it legally. They didn't want to cut people's heads off. About a hundred years ago, Joseph uh, Goebbels, who was the propaganda minister of uh, Nazi Germany, he said, wait a minute, we have to have a way to differentiate ourselves from Stalin and the left and all that. So he started using the term, the, the right side, the right on the right and that was a total distortion because i assure you adolf hitler joseph goebbels and his crowd had not the faintest resemblance to the constitutional monarchs on the right in the french but notice now it's just accepted our own people use it without setting the right term for it and say for example i don't mind if people call me on the right because I take it as the right as it initially was supposed to be. The heavy opponents of all that left wing stuff. To the communists, to the socialists, all of it. So that's an example of a myth that has grown up. And now uh, you play heck trying to get rid of it. Uh, because it's, it's that's, that's, that's PSYOP, right? That's an example of how that is done. It's terrible. You know, um, it, it's taken a while. Obviously, we've been, you know, I call it uh, slow cooked. There's been an incrementalism. So, uh, you know, the subversion has taken place over a number of decades. Uh, but who do you think is behind that effort? And I say this just because, you know, as a Cold War veteran, um, I, I now recognize that the downfall of or the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, was the line of demarcation where this Maoist, Stalinist communism that permeates the entire globe was was born. The Soviet Union collapsed, and they they basically franchised communism worldwide. Did they? Did they not? Who's behind this effort to do this? Do you think? Yeah. Uh, again, I would uh, I would agree basically with the premise, except to say that it all goes back to the Jacobins in France. You, you, this this book that I've written shows a virtually an unbroken line all the way up there. Now, the strategies are a little different. The tactics change from what you mean, but, and they don't call themselves. For example, in the 1920s, I believe it was, 100 years ago, 
uh, the uh, the lefties realized that they needed to stop using this term progressive because that's what uh, that's what uh, Lenin's communists were called. Progressive is progressive. They started calling themselves liberals. Well, after a while, they 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 switched away from that and they moved back to the term progressive. And I think the reason is it became more acceptable to do it because people had forgotten the connection between progressive and Soviet. I see. So uh, so here, uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, I was listening to Putin's long. Uh, diatribe today in the Tucker interview and it's interesting he still uses the a lot of what he says is historically accurate but then he adds flavors to it that are not accurate and uh, Russia I think the greatest tragedy is that in 1991 Russia missed out on a once in a millennium opportunity to voluntarily of their own clean up their stuff all the stuff that they had done after world war ii the germans didn't have that chance and the allies made sure hey you are going to clean this we're going to make you do it but when the soviet union collapsed russia had the great bulk of the nuclear weapons and all you're not going to walk in there and force them to do anything but even bukowski god rest his soul was a dissident from soviet era right on through and he begged the Russian, 1991, he said, we need to set up our own Russian version of the Nuremberg process, the Nuremberg trials, so that we can, we can finally get out from underneath all the blood that we have shed, all the people we have killed. Who did it? They're still amongst us. Well, rather than do that, the Russian people were not ready to do that. And what, what happened? Putin is nothing more than one of his favorites. One of my favorite of his quotes is they were asking him one time, well, you, as a former KGB man, and he said, wait, no such thing as a former KGB man. He has stocked the entire pool of that administration nationwide with former Soviet KGB types. And now the FSB, the, 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 their version of the... National Security Force is more than a mirror image of what the KGB was. So they missed the opportunity to do it. And from that, everything else has flowed, right? As what more would you would you expect? Mm-hmm. Where where do you think um we go from here? Is it possible to even unwind the damage, the destruction of our constitutional republic? They set out to do that. Uh, I would say, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, I've seen this, the Central Intelligence Agency, which I believe is probably one of the, one of the uh, most dangerous and existential, uh, existential threats to our so-called democracy, our constitutional republic. But um, I believe that the United States of America is their final stepping stone. They've learned how to overthrow regimes all throughout the world. And they've been actively involved in, in overthrowing our republic. But how do we stop this from taking place? How do we undo the damage that's been done to our, our republic? Well, it's not going to be easy, I can tell you that, because of its duration and the, the constant, constant 
uh, pressure that has been applied on our constitutional republic. We, we have two full generations now that have been quote unquote educated to believe in things that are at best very questionable hypotheses and if, if not just outright nonsense such as person can decide which gender and demand that you call that person the gender and the pronouns that he or she wants to. We have a frighteningly large number of younger people that actually support that. They've been taught that that's the uh, the, the, the human uh, nice thing to do. So uh, it's like, well, from where we sit now, it's almost a point, uh, I, I used the example in another interview, I said, imagine some fellow smoking uh, strong, unfiltered cigarettes, like Mallard Camel or something like that for, for 50 years, uh, a couple of packs a day, and then he goes into the doctor's, well, you got, you got some lung problems here. Uh, he He's not going to turn that around in a week. Mm-hmm. And we won't either. Unfortunately, if you look at, if you look at the average participation in election for the last know, 30 or 40 years, <clears throat> the average percentage of qualified registered or people qualified to register and vote that actually go out and vote is about 58 percent now that means that 42 percent of our citizens are too busy too otherwise engaged to do the their basic constitutionally civic duty to become aware of and to participate in the process because every time you cast a vote for somebody you kind of own that. I'm sure glad that I never, I've done a lot of nasty things in my life, admittedly, but at least I never voted for any of these collectivist lunatics. Uh, huh. And uh, it, 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 to me, I have a chapter in this book called Excusing Ignorance. It isn't a matter that we could, that the American people could not have known. They just were too busy with other things to bother with it, as Bismianov proved in his marks. I got a great quote on that from, and if you think this is a new idea, this was a quote from a from an old Irish judge, John Philpot Curran, and he wrote the following. It is the common fate of the indolent to see their rights become a prey to the active. Condition upon which God hath given liberty to man is eternal vigilance. Which condition, if he break, servitude is at once the consequence of his crime and the punishment of his guilt. 1790. This is is not new, but it has reached the proportion now. Because, and again, I I trace this in the book, how these societies arise and the tools that they use to obtain and maintain total control of society with the glue holding it together of fear. Wow. That may sound familiar to some people. For example, oh my gosh, what happens if the IRS takes an interest in me and I and I, I get audited every year? Or, oh my gosh, uh, I was actually in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, somebody may say. Whoa, are they going to come bash in my door now with a with a uh, a team of uh, FBI dudes, it's becoming very very scary. So the question again, back to your question, is it is it 
uh, retrievable? Is it savable? Perhaps. But a lot of things are going to have to change. And I think this year is a pivotal year for that change. Yeah, and the bringing up the statistic, uh, the reality, the facts that we only have a percentage of our eligible voters participating, uh, we're not going to turn anything around with a, a half-hearted effort by a portion of our population. It's going to require all hands on deck. Shoot, even if the collectivists, and, and that's why I've always believed that, uh, and, and, and I love our Constitution, you have freedom uh, to express yourself ideologically and politically, right? And uh, As long you as you even, agree with what they say, sure. Well, no, no, I'm saying in America, <laughs> I've always yeah. been, I've always been of the ilk that, you know, if you want to print, uh, you know, and I, I've been to, you know, back in the day in Los Angeles, I attended an Occupy, you know, Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street, remember when they were doing that and there were these mm -hmm. communists mm -hmm. running around with their, literature and their magazines and i'm like that's america's what america's all about and i'm confident i'm confident to be able to allow you to do that uh because we outnumber you <laughs> you're gonna be it's a minority fringe view our, our country is founded on you know we're, we're freedom seekers uh so uh, i was confident in allowing them to uh, to coexist but sir i'm gonna say this um I no longer want to coexist with these people. <laughs> I don't. That what they have done in infiltrating every single institution has just about dismantled us, and it's 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 time, uh, you know, to clean house. Remember, after the Civil War, you know, there there was distrust North versus the South, and I think we're at that moment in time right now where we should not be expected to coexist with these people that have done what they've done to our country. I'm sorry to say that, say it that way, but uh, not that I want to suspend uh, our constitutional rights for free thinkers. I mean, they've set out to overthrow us. <laughs> That's not a good thing, sir, is it? No, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> the judiciary is, uh, it does not have clean hands here because uh, let's take, for example, the, the shenanigans that they're pulling on uh, on Donald Trump right now. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I think one of the cases uh, mentions that he incited an insurrection. Well, first of all, no one has been charged with the insurrection. No one. Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court, thank God, I think that's going to be overturned tomorrow. I think it's going to be 9-0, hopefully. Uh, they four of those lunatics decided to say, no, we keep off the ballot because 14th Amendment says if you're an insurrectionist, can't uh, can't uh, hold office. Well, of course, they forgot the word hold. I mean, somebody that's already in office could be thrown out of office, and the Congress has to be the one to do that. A little detail, but you see, by saying when when we started questioning the 2020 election, what were we called? Election deniers. Deniers, yeah. And all of a sudden, election denialism be, became uh, a sort of a crime. Really? Uh, and I think people, can you show me one statute where, where, that's, where that's a criminal offense or even a civil case? You can't. So they're making up a lot of this stuff as they go along because, again, it's just by the means. I heard one reporter say one time, well, you know, if you believe, you really believe that 
Donald Trump, for example, is the is the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler. You believe that deep in yourself. What wouldn't you do up him from going back? Why? Mm. Interesting, interesting concept. So they will use freedom of speech, for example. Uh, I remember in the Soviet Union, uh, they they absolutely uh, <laughs> were aghast at the fact. I was there. It was an election year. It was Nixon versus McGovern. You remember that clown? Mm-hmm. Um, and they would go around. There were twenty-three of us guys, and we we had different things on display there. They would go around to the to the different stands and the different stops, and they would ask us questions and all that. So I went outside towards the end of the day, and I and I saw these two younger Russians standing up there talking. One of them said to the other one, <clears throat> "He said, good grief!' He said, I can't believe this." These people apparently work for the U.S. government, right? And he said, so I go up to the first one. I said, who are you going to vote for? And the guy says, uh, uh, McGovern. I said, why? And he says, because Nixon's a swollen. The Russian means an SOB, rotten guy. He goes to the next stand, and he says, who are you going to vote for? And the guy says, Nixon. And they said, why? And he says, well, because McGovern's an idiot. And they go to the next stand, and they said, who are you going to vote for? He says, I don't know, maybe a third-party candidate. I don't like you he says, and these guys work for the government? Are you kidding me? Uh, they could not even conceive of idea that someone could express those kind of views in public in front of other people. And we learned a lot about that whole nasty system from examples. And I have several examples like that in the book just to, to let people know that, by the way, that's a peek into what they want for you. Mm. They want that here. Uh, it's it's beyond credulity, really. It's just beyond credulity. Yes, sir. All right. Um, tell me, and thereby our entire audience, uh, why your book, and I believe it is, uh, so it's not a trick question. Um, I, I, I anticipate what the answer will be, but I want to share it with the audience. Why should I, and I haven't read your book, why should I? Well, I think I started out in the, in the author preface. I was very honest with people. I said, you know, I have been fortunate enough in my lengthening shadows of years uh, to have. I, I grew up in the United States a long time ago, and I've been privileged. The good Lord put me in a position where I happen to be able to go inside one of those societies. And again, six months I spent there, a total of nine cities we traveled spoke in their language to the Russians and discussed all these things and watched how they live, learned how they thought, etc. So it's kind of like uh, I said in the preface, um, I noted uh, there was a guy and uh, he had been in uh, in the German SS during the war. He actually served at Auschwitz and he finally came out and addressed that in public. He ended up getting dry foot. But they asked him, why did you come out there? He said, I felt a duty to reveal these things that I knew because I, I heard other people saying what had ever happened. And he said, yes, it did. I was there. I know. And another one is this fellow in, in Germany now. He's in his late 70s, too, or early 80s, I think, maybe over now. And he was in a Stasi, East German security uh, police uh, for several years. And now his job, he said, my job at my age is to go around. He said, I talk to 
Germans, especially young Germans, and I try to get them to understand what happened there. And they said, well, why do you do that at your age? He said, because I'm not going to let those people write the history. That's one of my goals. So I'm trying to document these things for the record. Um, I don't propose any direct solutions. I think the only solution is for people to realize where this came from, what it is, and where it's inevitably going to go unless people stand up and say no. And the best way to do that is, of course, through the elections. We hope that worked out that That's why I think everyone should. My target audience for this, mainly young people, that's why it's on Amazon. Uh, people criticized me in the past. Well, why don't you go through a regular publisher? Because once I saw Senator Josh Hawley, conservative, Missouri, he had a book contract with one of these supposedly conservative uh, outfits. They canceled his contract because they didn't like what he wrote. One thing about Amazon, you might not like Jeff Bezos. I don't care for him, but they will not censor you. can write whatever you want to publish it. Boom. It was right up. And it's there in, in, in paper. Back and it's also an ebook, especially for the, for the younger folks. It's something I felt a duty to do, and I hope people will take this book and arm themselves with the knowledge so that when they hear this nonsense, like, yes, we're gonna we're gonna mail out um, mail out ballots to uh, every resident of a state, not citizen, resident. And we don't care if they come back signed or unsigned. We don't care about laws to get the ballots back. And by doing so, we're going to ready, save democracy. That makes no sense. Counter, counterintuitive. So people have to start looking at this and realizing one of the chapters that I deal with here is lies and propaganda. And the book, I try to keep it short. It's only 128 pages in a couple of hours. Uh, if I'd used all the examples from the Soviet Union, East Germany, and all that, and what's going on today, it'd probably been 600 pages. But it has enough examples in there for people to just, just naval terms, call an all stop. Stop. Stop and look at what you're hearing and look at what you're seeing. There's a great old Russian joke. <laughs> it goes like this. Uh, we'll call these guys Vanya and Pietja, two Russian guys, and they meet on the street, they're friends, and Vanya says to Pietja, he says, well, how you doing, man? And he says, well, I'm not too sure. I've got to go see an eye doctor and an ear doctor. And the other guy says, oh, really, why? He says, because what I'm seeing isn't matching what I'm hearing. And this is, this, is what we, this is where we are. We're seeing things that are obvious, and yet we don't know what to do about it. What, well, what about that? You know, and, and what about the subtleties as in the psychological warfare uh, being perpetrated? I mean, who's behind that? I mean, is our military really participating? Because this is military-styled psychological warfare being perpetrated upon the American people. Yeah, I uh, during the end of my time uh, working out in the, in, uh, the military institute where it taught Russians, I saw a definite change the, in the officer. I started seeing people that were, well, they were described to me as politicians in uniform. They, 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 next promotion was... Described they, to you as what? Politicians in uniform. Oh, no kidding. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were uh, we're talking about lieutenants, colonels, colonels, you know, uh, we're, we're talking people who are on the threshold of becoming general officers. And 
I have heard since I retired that there are many, many, many of these people now in the system. So they're not going to buck. Otherwise, how can you explain? Look at the current sector, the Secretary of Defense. The guy's a retired Air Force general, I think. And he's online with this notion that white supremacy is the biggest uh, security threat to the nation. Uh, Biden has said it. Harris has said it. DHS has said it. The FBI director has said it. Well, notice they have they have put in uh, mandatory workshops and seminars to deal with things like white rage and and white privilege, et cetera. This is coming from the inside. They're not being forced to do this. They're doing it. And that come, there, there comes your mythology leading to brainwashing, leading to, I don't know if they actually believe that they're doing the right thing or not, but it doesn't matter because they're doing it. And it's really, I think, no wonder they can't meet their recruitment part. Uh, would you want to sign up for something like that where they march? One of my heard of they, they were marching Marine uh, platoons around in high heel shoes so that they'd get a better feel for what it was like to be a, a woman. See, oh, my goodness. Th- this stuff, once it gets ingrained and it doesn't get better, it just keeps getting worse. So, who's, like you said, who's, it's time for a total house clean. Who's more, who do you think is more influential or who has been more influential uh, on the globalist stage, the, the former you know, uh, Soviets or the Maoists from the CCP? I think there's there's got to be some kind of cabal. If you look at this World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> good grief. The, these guys are, they, they are genuinely, they're, they're lunatics. Read some of the statements that come out of this World Economic Forum as the goal. They'll come right out and say openly into a live mic, well, you know, we, free speech, we, we don't need free speech. In fact, we probably are not going to need elections much more because we know where everything needs to go, and now it's just a matter of enforcing it to make sure it goes there. So I think they used to be kind of behind the Wizard of Oz curtain. They're, yeah. right, they're right out in the open. They're saying it out loud into live mics. Right now, it's just right out in the open. Is it because they're in the final stages of implementing their plan, do you think? I think it's become there's because there's been so little pushback uh, when, when we had the chance to do a lot more of it. I mean, my favorite example of Mr. No Pushback at all is Mitch McConnell. I mean, you can't find a better example of someone who is the supposed leader of, I guess, our side of the equation. I don't know. And he, and he hasn't done anything that, that I know of. He hasn't resisted one single thing now the democrat party by the way you know how they're going to act because for example right up here in montana which is north of we're in wyoming and right up in montana they got a guy named john test this guy is now running for re-election for his third term and i have seen military veterans go out and campaign for this guy and say oh he is so good on veterans affairs this guy will talk a wonderful game up there in the campaign. Then he goes to Washington. I can't, cannot find in the last 12 years a single instance where he voted against Schumer and the Democrats. Okay. I give the devil their due. I mean, 
Vladimir Lenin uh, came up with a concept that I think is still alive in the Democrat Party today. He he called it democratic centralism. Sounds like a great moderate term, right? Huh? What that meant was we in the party, not the party, we can have dog fights behind closed doors. We can throw pies at each other. But when the party comes to a decision, collusion, and walk out that door, no one should dare even think of disagreeing. And the more I watch the Democrats over the last, I don't know, 40 years or so, this is how they operate. Mm -hmm. Republicans, they've been kind of uh, either wishy-washy or they've been, uh, some of them in good, with good intentions, they, they try to, to be fair and compromise, et cetera. Uh, you cannot compromise with someone. Soviets used to have a term for that. They said, oh, compromise? Yeah, negotiations, we love those. It's basically what's mine is mine and what's yours is negotiable. That was their concept. Wow. And it seems to me that's that whole thing has been alive in Washington, D.C. for a long time. It's mm -hmm. our wonderful new congressional representative here. Uh, when we threw out Liz Cheney, the, the never Trumper idiot, mm -hmm. we got a lady named Harriet Hageman. She is really good. Mm -hmm. We had. If we had 250 Harriet Hagemans, I guarantee you'd see some stuff shaking up in D.C. That's been part of it. Uh, it's been there's been no no pushback, no effective pushback. Well, when you don't do that, they're going to keep pushing. That's right. And hey, we're going away with this one. Let's get away with the next one. And That's the next, right. And the yeah. next. And now uh, the Chinese, the CCP, is openly admitting that uh, they've been perpetrating uh, psychological warfare upon our populace to ultimately get us to the point to where we'll just they're gonna they've been slow cooking us to eventually accept surrender to their global dominance and that's yeah, probably the leading an interesting i don't mean but an interesting thing here uh research the idea of these confucius institutes or confucius centers that they have in in many school districts <laughs> uh what you'll find is that you thought about psyop they've been involved with this now for quite some time and they're basically pushing the line in, oh, no, no, China, China's a wonderful place, and we just want to be friends and no problem. And da, 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 da. If you tell enough young people that for long enough uh, and it's not challenged, they're probably going to believe it. So there's another SIA going on by the Chinese Communist Party. Absolutely. Sir, tell everybody how they can uh, find your book and get in touch with you. And I appreciate you taking the time out like i said it's an important time uh for us to be uh listening to and reading everything we can get our hands on because you know the media the internet's been co-opted i mean they're just restricting the flow of information can you imagine uh reliable sources of information like your book are hard to come by these days uh those that are in the know tell everybody how they can reach you well the best way is through the book's website it's the title of the book is america in name only Sort of like rhinos, Republican in name only. Well, unfortunately, we're tending towards becoming America in name only. So it's one word, America in name only dot com. Take you to the website, then you can find how you get how you get the book from there. Oh. And there's a brief description of the book on the website. But again, I I really hope that and, and some people may say, well, if it's mainly for younger people, listen, if you have kids, grandkids, etc. Uh, it's time to decide now uh, what kind of country, what kind of society you pass on to them. 
So it's kind of our duty to do that. Tell them. If we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? And the things that they, I assure you one thing, the things that they will learn in this book, the facts, the evidence, the truth that they will learn in this book, they're not going to get in public school. I work with a local group of homeschool kids and they they just they they soak it up like sponges they want to know uh but they're not going to get it in the standard government schools out here that are run by the by the team certainly not sir thank you for you know one last thing if you would um in uh in the russian language um i I want your uh whatever your final commentary is uh say it in russian and then when you're when you're done translate it for us Ну, как я всегда отвечаю на такие вопросы, я не знаю, что вы хотите, чтобы он сказал. Ну, скажу. I'm always saying, not sure what you want me to say in Russian, but let me know and I'll say it. It's interesting as we sign off here. I did watch, I'm going to go back now and watch the, uh, tomorrow or the next day, I will get on the, I'll get on the web and I can find the uh, the Putin interview in Russian. I, I noticed when I listened to it, I'm sure uh, that by the man's accent and by his certain turns of phrases when he was translated into English, it was not one of ours. It was one of theirs. And that's too bad because had Tucker contacted me, I would have said, you know, let me give you a couple of names of people you can take over there because uh, I know how the Soviets used to train their, their translators, interpreters. Uh, they would they would teach them to say, okay, when when our people say this, you need to make sure you translate it into English in the least threatening words that you can so you mm. don't anybody off, take anybody off, et cetera. So I could hear some of that in there. But I don't even want to hear the translation. I've already heard that. I want to hear what Putin actually said. And I listened to it. I scanned through most of it. But a lot of it, he went through the long historical diatribe that they have. And uh, he made it sound like, this is an interesting point, he made it sound like, uh the russians were oh once they got rid of the soviet uh society of which he was a integral part oh he said yeltsin tried you know russia tried to be friends with the united states and the united states just nice try nice. behind the scenes of course what they were doing is continuing to stock the system with KGB. again missed opportunity terrible Yes, absolutely. Sir, I honor you. Thank you for your service to our country, and thank you for, thank uh, you for taking, taking the time out uh, to be on the Pete Santilla Show, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Pete. I appreciate it. Thank you. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials, the exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other products, the Bella Grace Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 
6,000 times more potent than vitamin C. Astoreal Astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian Cat's Claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. So while they were on their class trip, just happened to be when these Palestinian terrorists captured them, put them together in a school, and uh, and then eventually uh, Israel refused to negotiate, and they started and eventually murdered, I think, over 20 of the children. Uh, that has left a national... A national, what should I say, a national pain uh, that's called the Ma'alot massacre. It happened in the city of Ma'alot. Um, and there have been another other examples like that, when it, hostages in a hotel uh, in Tel Aviv and, and other examples. So Israel did not negotiate. Um, later on, I would say after the Oslo Accords, possibly even before, but certainly since the Oslo Accords, Israel decided to negotiate. And it has had tragic results. I mean, Israel... Uh, in what year was that? In uh, 2000 and, uh, 2009, 2010, um, Israel uh, released uh, over a thousand terrorists in order to get back one Israeli soldier who was kidnapped. His name was Gilad Shalit. And today, everybody recognizes that what happened on October 7th was a direct result of that terrible thing that we did. Um, we should never have done it. But there was a, an incredible, I mean, and this is where you see the media play such an incredible, there was an incredible media campaign. How can you, Prime Minister Netanyahu, leave a soldier there just because you're going to release a thousand prisoners? Why don't we care about a thousand prisoners? Let them go. We don't care about them. Let's get our soldier back. So after a few years of this pressure, Netanyahu gave in, uh, released over a thousand terrorists. I might point out one of those terrorists was Yechia Sinwar, who became the head of Hamas, and he's the one who planned this terror attack today. Next guest, uh, his name is Itamar Marcus. He's the founder and director of the Palestinian Media Watch, uh, one of the world's foremost experts on the Palestinian Authority. He travels the world speaking to members of Congress, parliaments, and governments, presenting PMW's findings, uh, findings that have literally changed the way the world uh, sees the Palestinian Authority. Uh, this is the second time he's been on the show. Last time we had such a great conversation. And I'll tell you, uh, as I welcome you back to the Pete Santilli show, uh, the world has certainly 
changed several times over and even worse so as to the relationship between the United States and Israel. Just yesterday, I was remarking, uh, Mr. Marcus, that uh, uh, the it seems that the current regime in place here in the United States is almost perpetrating a coup upon uh, Netanyahu's government. Uh, are they trying to oust him? What, what, what say you to this relationship, sir? And there's lots of developments. Welcome back. Uh, what say you to that? Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's, it's very challenging what the United States is doing right now. Uh, on the one hand, the United States um, is supplying Israel with much-needed arms. Uh, this war is right now, aside from Israel's war independence, it is now the longest war in Israel's history. Um, and we've been fighting nonstop, using up our ammunitions nonstop. Um, and because of that, uh, we we have had to order, order lots of munitions from the United States. So on the one hand, the United States is helping us. On the other hand, politically um, and internationally, the United States is causing a lot of trouble for Israel. The United States is forcing Israel to supply vast amounts of what's being called humanitarian aid to the Gazan population. Uh, but what has been documented is that about 60% of the aid that's going into Gaza is being stolen by Hamas. That's a terror organization. Mm. Um, the Israeli population is furious. Why is Israel supplying uh, so-called humanitarian aid, knowing that it's going to terrorists. Um, and while we still have 132 uh, hostages that Hamas is holding, why are we, why are we giving the lifeblood, the life of the food that Hamas is going to su survive with? Uh, so, so this is the challenge, and it's the United States that's forcing Israel. It's the United States that's forcing Israel to do what they're calling humanitarian. Now, the explanation that's given in the United States is that Biden is losing his political base. Uh, there's a lot of antagonism from the Arab population. They're angry that he's helping Israel. So I, I think Biden is split here. I think in his gut, he knows that Israel's case is completely just. Uh, on the other hand, he wants to get reelected. So he's trying to cover both worlds. He's trying to, on the one hand, supply Israel with the weapons we need to fight. On the other hand, politically, uh, he's, he's forcing Israel to give these. Um, but from the Israeli perspective, it's, it's tragic. We, we have to free our hostages. Um, and the more that Hamas, the more uh, aid that Hamas is able to steal, the longer our hostages are going to be held under the ground with those Hamas terrorists. I, I have a silly question. Maybe I, I should have uh, known this, but it just yeah, came to mind because I wanted to refer to them as to what they are. Has the United States declared Hamas to be a terror organization? Yes, it has. Hamas is a terror organization. Islamic Jihad is a terror organization. Uh, that is, uh, and that's why it's so surprising that the United States is, is forcing this humanitarian aid into Gaza, knowing that it's ending up in the hands of Hamas. But like I said, getting elected seems to be a priority and it takes uh, priority and it takes precedence sometimes over um, wise decisions. And there, uh, John Kirby, the National Security uh, Council spokesperson, has insisted uh, or said that the U.S. policy is to leave Hamas, a terror organization that perpetrated the crimes on October 7th, um, 
to leave them in place. Is that correct? I, I did not hear that statement from Korea, and that would not, I don't think that's correct. I think the United States recognizes that the that Hamas has to be destroyed. Hmm. What the United States wants to leave in place is the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority is the entity that, as far as I'm concerned, is responsible for the strength of Hamas. They have been educating Palestinians since 1994. They have been poisoning them uh, with both nationalistic Palestinian hatred as well as religious Islamic hatred. Uh, when I say Islamic hatred, their interpretation of Islam is that um, Muslims have the obligation uh, and the destiny to kill and eventually exterminate Jews. Um, the Palestinian Authority published a, uh, a list of talking points to Palestinian preachers two weeks after the October 7th atrocities with exactly that talking point. The talking point from, uh, from the Islamic tradition, Hadith, that Muslims are at the end of time, Muslims are going to fight the Jews and kill them um, and eventually exterminate them as it goes on. So the Palestinian Authority, uh, that the United States wants the Palestinian Authority to be in place in Gaza, means that they just want to do a, run another cycle of this. All the years that the PA has been educating has given the power to Hamas, and if we put the PA in again to educate the same way, five or seven years, Hamas will take over again uh, even if it takes, if it you know, if it takes that long, and then we'll have the same situation. We can't have Hamas. We can't have the PA. Um, Israel has to be in charge of all military, uh, all security for the Gaza Strip for the many years to come. Uh, and then during this period, the United States, together with European countries, Western European countries, together with possibly some of the Arab countries who signed the Abraham Accords, who were willing to make peace with Israel, those are the countries that have to rule and set up a political uh, infrastructure uh, for the Gaza Strip. And for the first number of years, it does not have to be a national infrastructure. It's got to be regional. It has to be towns, communities, cities. Let them run their own schools, let them run their own sanitation, their own social welfare. It doesn't have to be a national entity. Um, given what the PA has created and what Hamas created when they did have national control, uh, they created the, 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 the most sophisticated terror network in the world, yes. an underground network of 500 miles, 500 miles of tunnels. You're talking about a Gaza Strip, which is some 35 miles long and a couple of miles at the, at the widest, about, I think, 10 miles wide. And they had hundreds, 500 miles of tunnels um, just for their terror infrastructure. So you want to let them do this again? It's insane. Israel, uh, Absolutely. Israel has to be in charge of all defense and security, and the West has to be in charge of everything else. Sir, a uh, couple of things. I'm reading now from the Times of Israel. I don't mean to catch you off guard, but this is just remarkable. Two things that are remarkable, but this one right here. Um, uh, quote, we don't believe that, uh, that right now a general ceasefire is the best approach, says Kirby. Um, in late January, explaining it would leave in place Hamas terror leaders... Um, we don't believe right now a general ceasefire. Uh, 
but explaining that that the U.S. would leave in place Hamas terror leaders who have vowed to continue per- perpetrating uh, attacks. Am I reading this wrong? Or, or yes, is he, you're, he's saying he doesn't want to cease fire because it would leave Hamas in oh, power. He doesn't want to cease fire. Okay, okay. So I, I misread that. Here's another thing. The negotiation. By the way, I have to give the United States credit here. They're going against a lot of the Western world. A lot of the Western uh-huh. countries who are supposedly in favor of uh, a support Israel um, are in favor of a ceasefire. A ceasefire is. We've had a number of little small wars with Hamas. Hamas starts a war, kills a lot of our civilians, they become heroes, and then the world pressures us for a ceasefire. Israel decided this time, after those atrocities of October 7th, no ceasefire. Uh, World War II did not end with a ceasefire with the Nazis. It ended up with the Nazis being destroyed. And that's what has to happen now. These Nazi Hamasniks have to be destroyed. Uh, And anyone who is pushing for a ceasefire uh, is is essentially pushing for a ceasefire with Nazis so that they can regroup. Israel will not agree to that. And I'm very pleased the United States is taking Israel's side yeah. uh, against the international community. And in fact, in the UN, the United States vetoed the UN Security Council. So let's give the United States credit where it's due. Mm. Uh, they are not calling for a continued Hamas rule. How do you feel about, and it's not just a matter of feeling, uh, take a look at our history. Uh, because I believe that the negotiations taking place for the exchange of hostages is something that encourages future hostage taking, does it not? It's always been our policy to not do that because it will uh, further inflame any uh, future potential uh, uh, hostage takings, yes? You're absolutely right. And uh, for many, many years, if we go back in Israeli's, in Israel's history, Israel did, for many, many years did not negotiate with, uh, with terrorists. Um, in the 1970s, uh, Palestinian terrorists took hostages of about uh, 50 young kids, high school kids who were on a uh, tour, uh, who were on their, uh, every year, they, at the end of the year, they were going on a class trip. So yeah. while they were on their class trip, just happened to be when these Palestinian terrorists captured them, put them together in a school, and uh, and then eventually uh, Israel refused to negotiate, and they started and eventually murdered, I think, over 20 of the children. Uh, that has left a national, a national, what should I say, a national pain uh, that's called the Ma'alot massacre. It happened in the city of Ma'alot. Um, and there have been another other examples like that, when it, hostages in a hotel uh, in Tel Aviv and, and other examples. So Israel did not negotiate. Um, later on, I would say after the Oslo Accords, possibly even before, but certainly since the Oslo Accords, Israel decided to negotiate. And it has had tragic results. I mean, Israel, uh, in what year was that? In uh, 2000, uh, 2009, 2010, um, Israel uh, released uh, over 1,000 terrorists in order to get back one Israeli soldier who was kidnapped. His name was Gilad Shalit. And today, everybody recognizes that what happened on October 7th was a direct result of that terrible thing that we did. Um, we should never have done it, but there was a an incredible, I mean, and this is where you see the media play such an incredible, there was an incredible media campaign. How can you, Prime Minister Netanyahu, leave a soldier there just because you're going to release a thousand prisoners. Why do we care about a thousand prisoners? Let them go. We don't care about them. Let's get our soldier back. So after a few years of this pressure, Netanyahu gave in, uh, released over a thousand terrorists. 
I might point out one of those terrorists was Yechia Sinwar, who became the head of Hamas, and he's the one who planned this terror attack today, the October 7th terror. And he's the one that Israel's negotiating now to get back the 132 uh, hostages. I agree with you completely. When we release terrorists and negotiate with terrorists, um, we end up losing in the long run. On the other hand, this time it's not one soldier, it's 132 people, uh, most of them civilians, uh, young girls who apparently are being raped, you know, on a daily basis, according to some of the hostages who have already been released. So the Israeli population just cannot handle the thought of leaving them there indefinitely. So we are behind the eight ball, as they say, and we're negotiating. We're negotiating with the devil to get our hostages free and to get those young girls out of the hell that no human being should ever be put in. Yes. Now, uh, sir, uh, uh, our policy openly, and, and, and when you start to see it in the, uh, in the public realm and articles where uh, the United States is oppositional to how Netanyahu is handling things, that is not a good thing because as I understand it and from afar, that is, maybe you can speak to this, is that Israel is kind of similar to, as far as their uh, their political climate, to the United States divided. You got Democrats and Republican, you know, similar to that. So by siding with the Democrats of Israel, oppositional to Netanyahu, now's not the time to be playing politics, is it? You're absolutely right. And even though there has not been an explicit statement, there's a lot of reports in the press. Uh, there are a lot of statements coming out in the press about uh, uh, comments that uh, President Biden supposedly said about Netanyahu. Of course, the White House denies it afterward. But there's a sense amongst the population that when there's a lot of smoke, there's probably some fire as well. Um, so, so this is what we're dealing with right now. I think seeing a rift between Netanyahu and the United States um, is also bad for the hostages because it, it, uh, it makes... It makes uh, Sinwar, Yechia Sinwar, and it makes Hamas feel that there is going to be maybe more American pressure on Israel to give into Hamas demands. Um, so, so it, it's 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 not just a bad feeling; it could be life threatening for those for those hostages. There has to be a united front, and we should have a united front in Israel. We don't, unfortunately, the. Uh, some of the forces in Israel and some of the families are demonstrating against the government. This helps Hamas tragically. It, 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 it enables Hamas to raise the cost um, of the hostages. So um, the United States, Israel, all of this divisiveness plays right into the hands of the terrorists. Uh, now, it's a very bad thing, especially, and we do have interest, you know, whereas in most cases, Americans can say, Hey, you know, we don't have a dog in uh, this fight as far as um, uh, being at war or protecting our ally. Uh, I say no to that because Israel in the Middle East is our most important strategic partner right in the middle of an area where they want to caliphate. And those people don't like America. They don't like Israel. Uh, so we have an interest in making sure that Israel's protected, yes or no? It's a very important strategic partnership. It is such an important strategic yeah. partnership. Just let me, the greatest long-term threat to the United States, uh, there are a number of them right now. Um, there's China, there's North Korea, um, but there's Iran. 
And Iran is the worst, the greatest threat, because when Iran gets nuclear weapons, uh, they won't hesitate to use it. They certainly won't hesitate to what I call do nuclear blackmail. Um, they could tell the United States, they could tell Israel, um, we have we have sneaked a nuclear weapon into Washington or Boston or New York, and it's ready to go off as, unless you give in to our demands. That's Iran. That's what Iran would do in a moment. I Iran is literally a couple of months away right now from having nuclear weapons. Uh, the United States, unfortunately, has been negligent over the last years um, in doing something to stop it. Israel's been screaming and yelling and warning, um, and the United States has agreed to all sorts of agreements. The United States recently released billions, billions of dollars uh, for Iran to use. Uh, so it's, it's uh, when you say that Israel and America are allies and, it's, and, and Israel's important, Israel is the front of the war against Iran. And Iran wants Israel and they want the United States. They talk about the two of them being the big Satan. Iran talks about the United States and Israel being the big Satan and the small Satan. Um, they believe they have an Islamic war in the name, like I say, in the name of Muhammad, in the name of Islam, the name of Allah, and their goal is to destroy the Jewish world, Israel, and the United States, which represents Christianity as far as they're concerned. Yeah. So uh, we're in this together, and the United States should be giving Israel uncompromising support. Yes, and to consider, and please pardon me, I'm a United States Marine, uh, an older one, of course, um, uh, now, but still, still a, a Marine that understands that if you, of course, oh my goodness, it's 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 uh, you know over a thousand murders perpetrated on October seventh. Um, to even consider, you know, how to respond to that or tell another country is 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 beyond me. But even still, uh, once they are uh, once Hamas is obliterated, to backfill that with the Palestinian Authority is to do what to bring in another. Uh, openly terrorist organization that does not have any of our interests in mind. I say make it a demilitarized zone uh, so as to protect Israel. But to consider the Palestinian Authority as a secondary option to Hamas is is doing what? Is 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 filling the vacuum with another terrorist organization, yes? Yes. I'll tell you just it, we just released my organization, Palestinian Media Watch just released a report. I presented it uh, last week in British Parliament to MPs, and I hope to present it to members of Congress uh, over the next few weeks. Um, it's a report which we titled um, uh, Terrorists in Uniform, and it documents with 14 pages of examples of Palestinian Authority policemen who are literally policemen a day um, funded and trained by the United States with hundreds of million dollars over the years, um, and at night uh, terrorists. And in fact, that statement, um, Palestinian security forces during the day and uh, freedom fighters at night, is not my quote. I'm just quoting Palestinian Authority themselves, Fatah themselves. After Israel had caught five police officers, Palestinian police officers, uh, again, funded by the West, uh, uh, under the Palestinian Authority, uh, and they were involved and caught uh, in, in terror. Uh, they're the ones who, who made this film. And the, the, on the screen, they literally wrote those words, security forces a day, 
and uh, and what they called uh, freedom fighters at night, which of course means terrorists. So why would the United States want this kind of a security force and this kind of a Palestinian authority to rule anywhere? Not only shouldn't they rule Gaza, but the only way we'll ever have peace with the Palestinian population is if they stop ruling in Judea and Samaria, what they call the West Bank as well. Only when they're removed and replaced by a completely different entity with none of the same political leaders that are there today, is there any possibility of ever having a peaceful relationship with the Palestinian population? Now, uh, you can speak to this. There's um, writings out there uh, as to uh, the reason why they selected October 7th. And we have to speak of the biblical implications because of the controversy at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, I'm understanding that, uh, that that controversy and their opposition to the Third Temple potentially uh, being prepared. This is of biblical proportions. Is, it not? is that something that's, uh, that's discussed as Hamas's justification for, uh, for doing it, in addition to the propaganda, of course, of their quote-unquote oppression um, uh, you know, responding to oppression by, you know, oppressing, of course, that's my personal opinion. But is there biblical implications here? There's um, the, of course, the, the um, Islam uh, built their, their two big mosques in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Uh, and one is the Dome of the Rock and one is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Al-Aqsa, uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And those are their holiest sites in Israel, in the land of Israel. Um, because it's the Temple Mount, it's Israel's holiest site. And uh, they don't want Jews to pray on Israel's holiest site. They say that Jews' presence on the Temple Mount defiles the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, it is just pure, pure anti-Semitism. Um, they don't want Jews Simple as that. Ah. Uh, Muslims can go to the Western Wall. Muslims can pray anywhere uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem. No, but they don't want Jews on the Temple Mount. What Hamas has said is that the attack of October 7th was for a number of reasons. One of them, one of the primary reasons they said was to keep because Jews have been visiting the Temple Mount. In fact, the reason why they were doing it um, is because they've been planning this for many, many years, many, many years. But again, when you talk about uh, 500 or 500 kilometers or 300 to 500 miles of, of, um, of tunnels, you, you're talking about something that's been planned for a very, very long time, uh, uh, literally years, many, many years. Uh, so the date that was chosen, they, they, any terrorist who does a terror attack usually looks for something to make it seem like he's reactive, that he's defending himself, that he was a victim. Uh, and, and this is what terrorists do. And look at look at Russia when they attacked uh, the Ukraine. Uh, they said they did it because Ukraine was acting like Nazis and was there was Nazification going on and they were threatening Russia. Every terrorist action, they always package it. So the fact that the fact that Hamas said that they were doing this because of this reason or another reason, it's meaningless. They're doing it because we are Jews, Israelis are Jews, and they believe that it's Muslim destiny to kill Jews and ultimately exterminate Jews. This was part of their religious war against the Jews. Mm -mm -mm. But ultimately... But that doesn't go over well internationally, so they come up with other excuses. 
Yes, it's a, and it's absolutely incredible, incredible to me that the, uh, and we're going to have to say uh, the money behind this this campaign, this sympathy towards the quote unquote uh, 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 oppressed oppressor. Ultimately, the I mean their 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 entire you know their regime, their existence, Sharia law is very very oppressive. How they lorded over. Their people was oppressive, but using that, but to propagate that throughout the entire world as fast as they did required a lot of money. Uh, who are those forces? There, there, there's very wealthy people that got involved, but I think this is state sponsored, is it not? Have you been able to investigate that as to who's been helping to uh, uh, to fuel this propaganda around the world? You're around, talking about well, around the world, long term. You, you go back uh, 20, 30 years, mm. and you see that the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia and the others, who had at that time vast, vast oil wealth mm. that they couldn't possibly use all that money. It was just cash sitting in the bank. And what they decided to do was use their vast oil wealth, again, many, many years ago, um, and started investing uh, that money into um, American universities. And what they did is they gave universities million-dollar grants, $5 million, $10 million grants in exchange for setting up Islamic Studies Department um, and in exchange for accepting the leaders, the, the educators, the so-called educators, but essentially uh, Islamist propagandists to be the uh, professors and the heads of these departments uh, and put them in history departments as well and put them in political science departments uh, and they were giving enough money and the universities were desperate enough to get money or greedy enough to accept the money that they didn't care what kind of hatred for Jews and Christians was being disseminated uh, in the universities. Um, today, you have not just an investment, but you have a whole academia, academia that, that is hiring people who, who look at the, the three university heads who were questioned in Congress, and they were asked, do you think it's hate speech to, to call for the genocide of Jews? And they said it depends on the context. And they yes. were asked the question repeatedly, 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 and they kept saying it depends on context. It's just unimaginable, but it didn't start just now. It started 20, 30, 40 years ago, even when all this Muslim... Um, in the Muslim countries. All this Muslim came to the United States and have literally conquered the universities. They've conquered American academia. Oh, yes. Um, Jews can't go through universities today without feeling threatened. And it's not just by the Muslim and Arab populations. It's by all the people, all the students who've been brainwashed into believing that Jews are this evil force in the world, Israel is this evil force. Um, so uh, you ask, where did it come from? Was it a lot of money? It was started years ago. Uh, who would have believed they'd be so successful? But they have literally taken over American academia. And just remember, American academia, um, 10, 15, 20, 30 years is going to be the majority of Congress. So it's going to be very challenging for people with different values, uh, conservative values, um, Christian values in the United States in the years to come. Oh, yes. Uh, and lastly, um, in the war on terror, when the United States was attacked on 9-11, uh, we responded and t to this day continue to respond. 
how many of our adversaries, those that want to kill us, that perpetrated that, would you say in the hundreds of thousands, uh, have we not in this war we've gone and 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 killed them? Otherwise, they will come to to kill us. Correct. The United States did that. The United yes. States fought them all over the world. Right now. Uh, have you ever heard the United States being accused of, quote unquote, genocide uh, because of our response? Uh, what is the difference between our response over multiple decades to go after our adversaries and to stop the caliphate and to go after ISIS and Al Qaeda? What's the difference between our response on the world stage and now this talk of Israel in their own defense going after their adversaries? They're being called um, uh, it's, it's being called genocide. What's the difference? That look, that's something that, uh, we're living with here in Israel. We're, we're, we're finding it mystifying. We're finding it uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we had the UN women's organization that refused to say a word about the dozens or hundreds of rapes that were done and the multiple rapes of individuals before they were then mutilated and their uh, their private parts were mutilated. I, 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 the stories are unbelievable. And the UN was quiet. The UN was silent. So you, I'm just saying that your question is is is, is something that has stumped Israelis um, and Jews around the world, for that matter, and are, are questioning: Do these large parts of the world see Jews and Israelis and put us in a different category, as has happened for centuries? Um, are we not? equal to everyone else? Do we not have the same rights as everyone else? Mm. Believe me, a lot of Israelis are beginning to think that is the only logical explanation for this kind of disdain and hatred for Israel, denying us the right to defend ourselves, supporting the Nazis who did what happened on October 7th. Something very unfortunate is happening worldwide, and I think it's going to have ripple effect on not just Israel, but the Jewish populations around the world yes. and their ability to stay in those countries where they live today comfortably or where they've lived, you know, for hundreds of years comfortably, mm -hmm. there's going to be a, an upheaval in the years to come. You know, as to my position in this um, controversy and the anti-Semitism, I've always been oppositional to it, okay? And it is of... Uh, a biblical-centered uh, attitude that I have, that uh, I, I believe those that uh, bless Israel will be blessed as well. So I go by the scriptures as a Christian. I do that. And that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I, as to the politics uh, that are going on and all the money back and forth, I mean, um, you know, I do have a lot of sympathy towards you know, the, the, the population there, uh, you, you have a population, a government uh, that is asserting that, you know, through self-determination, uh, they have a right to exist and defend themselves, period. Well, who would be op oppositional to that? It's just absolutely perplexing to me. And I can imagine how the citizens of Israel feel. I don't care where they're at on the political spectrum. Um, is there a unification regardless of politics or is the nation divided in that regard, what's the general sentiment? And that'll, that'll be our final comment here. And, and of course, we'll let everybody know where they can find your work. But what's the general sentiment of the people of Israel as to this mass attack, not just in terrorism, but, uh, you know, but politicization and, and to take away Israel's 
and the Israeli citizens' right to self-determination. Okay, so um, the Israeli population is incredibly, incredibly united. Um, you just have to understand uh, 300,000. We have a standing army of about 45,000, 50,000 people. Uh, within days, 300,000 reservists um, volunteered over called up. And I say volunteered because many of them were over 40 years old and 50 years old, and they already had left the reserves. They came, they, they, they went there anyway. Um, you had 300,000 Israelis from around the world return to Israel, return to Israel as the war started, many of them in order to do uh, army service. My nephew has been living in the United States for a number of years. Within a week, he was back in Israel and he was fighting in Gaza. Mm -hmm. um, so the Israeli population is completely united uh, in the goal of destroying Hamas. Uh, we're united in in the horror of the world trying to stop us from destroying from destroying Hamas. And there's any country, all these countries who are trying to stop us, the Israelis are completely united. What unfortunately is splitting the Israeli population today is is the issue of the uh, hostages. How far should Israel be willing to go to release the 136 or so hostages? Yeah. Um, some people say whatever they ask for, primarily the families and their supporters, uh, but not all of them. Many of the families, in fact, many of the families have gone on TV and said, don't release terrorists for my children because they're just going to kill more people. So the country is split on this issue. On the ultimate issue, Israel's completely united on this nuance of what we do interim. There's a little bit of a divisiveness, and it's unfortunate because it uh, the other side is listening. Hamas is listening to our infighting. Uh, this is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, if you don't mind my my uh, my commentary, and it's not opinion uh, because in these tumultuous times, as Christians, I'm calling upon all Christians and Jews to unite on the following principles, and it's easy for the Christians to be guided as follows: Genesis twelve three says. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Set your politics aside. Uh, set your personal opinions aside. And how do we resolve this? Uh, Christians, we go by the scriptures. And in Genesis 12, 3, in the beginning of the writings of the holy scriptures. Uh, but, you know, they're after the Jews now. And Christians are not going to be immune. Uh, they, they don't look favorably upon Christians either. And I, I don't say this to scare people, but trust me, our adversary that is has attacked Israel, the Christians are next. So we stand, when I say I stand with Israel, I stand on those, uh, those in that biblical context. Absolutely, I will never deviate from it, sir. Thank you. Thank yes, you, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, your your website, uh, where everyone can find your great research and work, palwatch.org. And did you say you're going to be uh, a, uh, a consulting and advising members of Congress? Is that correct? Uh, yes, the date's not final yet, but I will be um, talking to people right now about what's going on. Well, may, may you be blessed as well. Be safe and thank you for your, your service to the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.